really matters? That might be the most important question you can ask. So let's talk about it. Welcome to What Really Matters podcast, Everyday Spirituality with Karen Wyatt. Thanks for joining me here today. We are continuing with the series on what the ego needs to learn. And today we're on the last lesson, number five, for the ego. This lesson is you are going to die. And we'll get back to that in just a moment. But I'll recap for you what we've been talking about for the previous four episodes. So These are five lessons that were originally shared by Father Richard Rohr from a men's retreat that he did on helping men with spiritual growth by confronting the ego and really talking about what the ego needs to learn in order to support spiritual growth instead of being an obstacle to spiritual growth. So the previous four lessons that we've talked about, number one, life is hard. Number two, you're not that important. Number three, your life is not about you. And number four, you're not in control. And so if you've missed the previous four episodes, you may want to go back and listen to each of them because these lessons do build on one another. They also reflect somewhat the seven lessons that I recorded earlier in the year from my book, Seven Lessons for Living from the Dying. So we'll get back to lesson number five, you are going to die, which is the lesson of impermanence. This is really the ultimate struggle for the ego is recognizing that it is time limited. The ego and the physical body both will not survive. This is the ultimate terror and fear of the ego. So the ego does everything in its power to defend against the reality that it's not permanent, that it won't last, it won't stay here forever. But accepting and acknowledging the fact that the ego and the physical body won't continue on is one of the crucial steps in terms of spiritual growth. It is the most important lesson that the ego has to learn. And in a way, that's why it's number five on this list, because the other lessons are building up to the fact that the ego is not going to last forever and are gradually teaching and convincing the ego to let go of some of its desire for control and some of its hold over life before this idea of impermanence and death is introduced to the ego. So as I think about it, sometimes in our teachings about the end of life, we confront people right away with the idea of death. We tell them right away, you have to accept that you're going to die one day. But in reality, this might be too triggering and too terrifying for the ego. And it may cause some people to shut down immediately when we present them with the ego's greatest fear, the fact of death being a reality. So this sequence of lessons as presented here in the in the five lessons for the ego to learn makes sense to me. We start out more gradually and gradually move the ego toward humility, toward recognizing its role in our lives, toward letting go of some of its control before we hand the ego the ultimate lesson that also 
you're not going to be around forever. You are going to die along with the physical body. So a couple of important points here. Because of its absolute terror at the idea of its own death, the ego can go to great lengths to defend itself against this reality that death is going to occur. And Ernest Becker, in his book, The Denial of Death, writes all about this, the fact that humans tend to build what he calls immortality projects to defend against the fear of death. And these are projects that will outlive them, but that they believe gives them a sense of being immortal, of never really dying. Now, one thing I hear often from people in the um, afterlife space who talk a lot about afterlife or near-death experiences is the notion that we do not die, that death isn't real, it doesn't really happen. And they base this on the fact that consciousness or the soul or our higher selves live forever. And when the physical body dies and the ego dies, there is a higher self or a higher essence of us that continues to live. And so I'm often told not to use words like end of life and death and dying because for one thing, that those are not real, but also that those are discouraging to people who need to hear the message that life is eternal and there is no death. But there's a problem with this way of thinking, and that's the fact that it is the ego and the physical body that will die. And it's a huge step toward higher consciousness when the ego can come to terms with the actuality of death, of mortality. And it's a necessary step if we're going to turn our lives into lives that are guided by higher wisdom. We have to move from being driven by the ego and its concerns and what the ego cares about to being able to listen to higher guidance and higher wisdom in our lives. And the only way we can get to that point is by getting the ego to loosen its hold over our thoughts and over our behavior. And that's what these five lessons are all about. It's helping us to really humble the ego and to dissolve away some of the bonds of attachment that the ego has over our lives. So it's a necessary step for the ego to come to terms with death and mortality and with its own lack of power, ultimately. When we use messages to an unevolved soul about the fact that there is no death, death doesn't really exist, we will live forever as spirits, it's actually the ego that latches on to that idea. So the ego continues to defend against the idea of death and continues to inflate itself in a way and maintains its hold over our thoughts and our behavior. And so it really works against us to teach people these messages about the afterlife before they're ready to hear them. So messages about the persistence of consciousness and the immortality of the soul are great when you've already evolved to a point that the ego knows its place and that the ego is helping your higher self negotiate life 
and is an ally and a supporter of your spiritual growth instead of an obstacle to your spiritual growth. But if you're still at a place in your development where the ego is running the show and in charge and you haven't quite mastered the ego yet, those messages that you will never die uh, play right into the hands of the ego, which loves hearing that and grabs a hold of it and feels even more empowered by it. So that's why we have to be careful. If we're going to share messages with other people, we need to understand where they're coming from and what their level of awareness is and their level of development spiritually because notions of the afterlife might actually impede someone's growth if they're handed to them too early. So it is important. I really like the fact that Father Richard Rohr talks about beginning the spiritual journey with these lessons for the ego. Before we can get anywhere else with any other concepts, we really do have to come to terms with the ego. We have to train and teach the ego its proper place in life. And that is an ongoing process. It's not something, oh, we'll do a weekend workshop and we'll have the ego well in hand and then we can move on from there. But it's something we're working on constantly throughout life is becoming aware of the ego, how it thinks, how it's operating in our lives, where it takes control, where it gets triggered in order to tease that out and in order to help our own egos take the proper place and play the proper role in our lives. And in so many ways, we can find greater peace once we do manage our egos and once we educate our egos. And Thich Nhat Hanh teaches, uh, I love this quote from Thich Nhat Hanh, it is not impermanence that makes us suffer or that makes the ego suffer, I would add. What makes us suffer is wanting things to be permanent when they are not so it's the ego that wants things to be permanent, particularly its own existence. And the ego attaches and wants things to last, wants things to continue, and therefore feels constantly crushed and disappointed and in pain when it discovers that things don't last and that everything changes. And also that it has to deal ultimately with its own demise, its own death. So as Thich Nhat Hanh says, we can suffer less when we come to terms with the idea that nothing is permanent, everything will fade away, nothing will last, and we learn to live within that reality and to live our lives with that awareness. But once again, it's the ego that has to participate in that awareness. So that's the key here, is convincing the ego to accept the fact that nothing lasts, everything changes, and that's okay. Life is still good. In fact, life is amazing. W. Somerset Mom wrote, Nothing in the world is permanent, and we're foolish when we ask anything to last. But surely we're still more foolish not to take delight in it while we have it. And so that's the key right there. When we understand that nothing will last and everything changes, we suddenly become able to appreciate everything that we have right now in this moment. We don't take it for granted. We recognize that this will fade away. This won't be here forever. I have to make the most of it and enjoy it right now while it's here. 
And William Braxton Irvine, uh, in the same line of thinking, wrote, by contemplating the impermanence of everything in the world, we are forced to recognize that every time we do something could be the last time we do it. And this recognition can invest the things we do with a significance and intensity that would otherwise be absent. We will no longer sleepwalk through our life. And I love that statement, we'll no longer sleepwalk through our life, because if we believe that we will be here forever and everything will last, there's no reason to work at making the most of each moment that we have. There's no reason to worry about cherishing things right now, because they'll never disappear. They'll never go away. We'll always have them. We can do that later. And uh, I think I'm reminded of, I don't know if you happen to watch Star Trek The Next Generation, which has characters from the Q continuum who are immortal, who never die. And they're, they're also omnipotent and have uh, power. But the real problem for them is that life becomes boring. They have to constantly stir things up and create problems around them in order to not be bored with a life that never ends and a life that doesn't change on its own. They have to create change and they create issues and problems to deal with. So if, if we think about it, one of our greatest gifts actually is the fact that life is impermanent. That's what encourages us to cherish every single thing that we have. So we have to shift our thinking about death and dying and about the impermanence in the world to a place of being able to appreciate it and in a way to be in awe of it, even though we feel great pain over the losses that we experience in our lives. Our egos feel the pain, but yes, we feel the pain through and through, throughout our entire being. It's painful to be in this human existence and to have to go through one loss after another in life, to cherish and care about everything life brings us, but then also to lose it at some point. But that, in essence, is the human journey. That's really what it's all about. Can we learn to love everything as deeply as possible and care for it and cherish, cherish it, including our own bodies, our own existence here, knowing that at some point, someday, it will be gone. Someday it, it will dissolve and fade away from us and we will no longer have it. So the enlightened reaction to that situation is to say, I am going to cherish this moment all the more because of the fact that it is fleeting and that I won't have it forever. Not uh, not a, a reaction of apathy or rejection, like forget it, I don't even want to live this life if I don't get to keep it forever. But to love everything and every moment that we have simply because it won't last forever. And Storm Jameson also wrote just another factor for us to consider. Nothing lasts, not even a great sorrow. I think that's a beautiful reminder too that even when we are in pain, even when we have suffered losses and we're grieving and feeling this the the deep suffering that comes when something has been lost in our lives that even that sorrow is impermanent itself. It won't last forever either. 
it will also change. It will also grow and morph over time. So our task is to learn to live within the reality of our impermanence, the fact that we won't be here forever as physical entities and as egos and minds, and to appreciate life all the more because of that impermanence. And I wanted to just tell you a little story about a number of years ago when we visited Paris and went to the Père Lachaise Cemetery in Paris, which is one of the oldest and largest cemeteries in the world. And walking through that cemetery was such a lesson in impermanence because you could see so many mausoleums that were more than 100 years old that were in a state of disrepair. They were crumbling and falling apart. No one had visited them for decades, it was obvious. No one had been there to clean the graves, to put fresh flowers on them, or to even tend to these monuments that had been created to the lives of someone so many years ago. But Ultimately, that's what happens to all of us. We build mausoleums, we have beautiful headstones in cemeteries as testimonies to our lives, and again, as immortality projects in a way that will outlast us, but places where people who know and love us can come and remember us and and maintain this memory of us. But ultimately, at some point, everyone who remembers us well dies also. And so at, at some point in history, there's no one there who cares enough. There's no one there to show up and tend to the headstone and the mausoleum and keep it clean and decorate it with flowers. No one remembers all of it is lost, all the memories are gone, and all of the essence of, of who we were in our lives disappears unless we were someone very, very famous, and there are a lot of fans who go on uh, maintaining that memory, but that's not the case for most of us. Most of us eventually are going to have the crumbling headstone and the crumbling mausoleum that no one tends to or takes care of at some point in our lives. So we have to remember it's okay to create our immortality projects and even the podcasts I'm doing really are a form of an immortality project because they have the potential to live on after I'm not here. But and we can take whatever, whatever consolation we find in these immortality projects, but we have to know ultimately that none of it will last. It's not going to last forever. Everything is going to fall apart. Everything is going to fade away at some point in the future. So the trick really is to learn how to live with the idea of impermanence. And that becomes an essential factor for our spiritual practice if we if we want to grow. So first of all, recognize that it's your ego that has a, this terrible, enormous fear of death and dying. And recognize that you're going to have to work with that for a while. You're going to have to acknowledge it within yourself and feel the fear arising and understand it's your ego that's going to die along with your physical body someday. And that's what, that's what you're coming to terms with as a human being. And so 
it can be helpful to make a regular practice of contemplating death and dying and the fact that you are not permanent here. And in a Buddhist teaching, there's something called the five remembrances, which I really like, which you can say as a mantra. It's something you can um, meditate on each day or write about in your journal. And it actually, for me, it's really calming when I go through these five remembrances and say them as a reminder to myself, because it also puts things in perspective. Whatever is happening to me right now, today, whether I'm having the worst day of my life or the best day of my life, it isn't going to last. And so my task is to figure out how do I make peace and find love in this moment, no matter what is happening And so the five remembrances are just a really good down-to-earth reminder of impermanence. And and I'll say them for you right now so that um, you'll know of them in case you'd like to write them down and perhaps use them in your own journaling. First, I am of the nature to age. There is no way to escape aging. Second, I am of the nature to experience illness. There is no way to escape illness. Third, I am of the nature to die. There is no way to escape death. Then, all that is dear to me and everyone I love are of the nature to change. There is no way to escape being separated from them. And finally, I am the heir of my actions. I cannot escape the consequences of my actions. My actions are the ground upon which I stand. And so what that last statement is saying is I'm responsible for how I live my life, for what I bring to the world and how I behave in the world. And what I do bring into the world will have consequences. And I can't escape those consequences. Um, So I have to be prepared to stand up for how I behave in the world and do I bring love into the world or do I bring sorrow and pain into the world and I have to be prepared to stand on that and to receive the consequences of whatever my behavior is. So those are the five remembrances. I think it's really powerful to review those from time to time. And as I said, to journal about them or simply saying them out loud, I think is very helpful. Um, Sokni Rinpoche um, teaches that whenever the ego suffers from fear of death, if your practice turns to seeing impermanence everywhere around you, I add, the ego settles down. So one of the best ways to help with the fear is to actually look around and notice impermanence everywhere in our world. All you have to do is walk outside and you'll see Uh, dying flowers in the garden. You might see a dead bird on the sidewalk. Uh, You'll see dead leaves dropping from trees. You'll see death and dying everywhere. You'll see a crumbling building. You'll see a fence that's falling down. You'll see that everything we build and create falls apart eventually, and everything in nature also has its own timeline, has its own time for living and for dying. And when you remind yourself of how natural and normal that cycle of life and death is, 
there's comfort there. There's comfort in knowing I am a participant in life and the cycle of life. And that's normal and natural and it's okay. And, um, but I don't need to dwell on that as much as keep it in the back of my mind so that I remember always savor this moment, make the most of it. This might be the last one I have. So let's talk about some other ideas for practices to help with impermanence and to help remind the ego that you're going to die and overcome the fear of that reality. Uh, I read about another a, a Buddhist monk who uses this response to everything. Oh, is that so? And so to every thought that he has, you know, a thought, a thought of, Oh, I love this sunset. I wish it wouldn't end to say, Oh, is that so? <laughs> or, uh, this is the best meal I've eaten. I want it to last forever. Oh, is that so? But also, Oh, I'm in terrible pain right now. This is awful to respond. Oh, is that so? And by saying that, is that so? He's actually questioning these premises that the mind comes up with, that the ego creates, that this is good and this is bad. This should last forever. This should never have happened by asking, oh, is that so? And questioning that premise. And it always brings us back to that place in the middle, in a sense, in the middle of the cycle of life saying, but all of this exists together, life and death, it's in a cycle. And in fact, life couldn't exist were it not for death. And we see this in nature all the time. Every living, growing thing in nature is being nourished by the nutrients provided to the soil by something that died previously. And so it is death that nourishes life. Death also allows change and growth to happen. So death is a very necessary part of this cycle. There would be no life without death. So when the mind and the ego conjure up these ideas of, oh, no, this is bad, it shouldn't have happened, or equally of, oh, this is so good, I wish it would go on forever, I like this response, oh, is that so? And reminding us like, oh, really? <laughs> because it's questioning the false reality and the false dichotomy in a way that, that the ego is really good at creating by just saying, oh, is that so? Uh, so I, I like that as a little practice. Another practice that I learned that, that I use a lot of times is um, to say it was already broken. And this happens, you know, for those times when you accidentally knock a glass off the counter and it shatters, but to stop for a second and say, okay, I no longer have that glass. And that was my favorite glass. But in a sense, it was already broken. Even when I loved using it, it was already going to be broken at some point. It was already going to fall apart at some point. And so I don't need to necessarily be overwhelmed right now by the fact that now it is broken because it was always broken. Even when it was put together, it was always broken. So the brokenness, the dying, the impermanence is always part of of every structure in existence, it has always been there. And so it may sound silly, and it may sound like denying the pain of loss, it isn't really, it's saying, Oh, you know, it, 
it was always broken. I grieve now that it is gone from me, but in a way, um, I've been grieving somewhat all along because I've understood all along that it was impermanent. And so I have always felt this sense of, of the impermanence and the loss of everything, even as I'm celebrating everything that is present right now in the moment. I know this might sound crazy. It sounds paradoxical. Like, how are we believing two things at once? But that's actually what the spiritual journey is about, is getting to the place where we can hold the two realities at the same time, life and death. Hold both of those in our awareness at the same time and give them equal prominence in a way, love them both and cherish both of them, knowing that they're necessary for one another and not be pulled one direction or another or knocked off the center, be able to stay right in the center and appreciate all of it. And another really simple practice taught by Pima Chodron, who's a popular Buddhist nun and teacher, is she says is to remember that every single breath is a small birth and death. You know, when we're born, our first breath is an inhalation, we breathe in. And so each time you inhale, it represents birth. And our last breath is an exhalation. So every time you exhale, it represents death. And so you can actually go down to take it down to every single breath and and think of each breath as a new birth for you. And each inhalation and each exhalation is a little death. And that applies to, to day and night. Um, each time you wake up in the morning, it's a new birth. You are born again to a new life for this day. And when you fall asleep at night, that's a, a little death at the end of the day as that day closes. And so remembering these little births and deaths in every breath and in every day also helps us prepare for the big death at the end of life when that does come for us. And also, again, it helps us stay in the middle, stay in that place of balance. We're holding life and death constantly and aware of both at all times and balancing there to the best of our ability, not overwhelmed by death and not overjoyed too much by life, but staying in the middle, aware of both and also being in that place of um, saying, oh, is that so? And reminding ourselves that nothing is permanent and that's actually perfect. That's actually the best way for it to be. So one final practice I wanted to mention that I have really enjoyed doing in my life that uh, I, I do on a regular basis is to create a mandala. This is a representation of impermanence that you can, can um, create and it's, it's a lovely little ritual practice. So what I do if I'm going for a walk in the woods or on the beach or anywhere, I start gathering up uh, natural objects that I find in my path. So in the woods, I might gather twigs and stones and flower blossoms um, or leaves. 
that have fallen off trees. I, I gather whatever I happen to find on the trail, or if I'm on the beach, similarly gathering up pieces of seaweed and shells or little stones that have washed up. And when I have a, a couple of handfuls of items I've collected, I stop and I form them into a mandala, which is a circular geometric figure that can be divided into fourths or different sections inside. But you, you simply create designs within that circle with the objects that you have. So, so I use my creativity here and align the rocks or shells or sticks or leaves, whatever I have, into a little pattern within the mandala, whatever feels pleasing or lovely to me in the moment. So I'm making a new creation. I'm creating order uh, in nature by putting all these objects together to create a shape and a form. And I marvel at that a little bit about the beauty, first of all, of these natural objects and then how nicely they come together to create this this lovely mandala, this symbol of of order, of making something from nothing, of making something from all the apparent disorder of life in the universe. But then I say goodbye to it. I walk away and I leave my mandala wherever I've created it, knowing if I'm in the woods, the wind will blow it away, an animal will walk over it, a human might even come along and destroy it. Similarly, on the beach, the waves are go definitely going to wash it away as soon as the next uh, high tide comes, but also birds might carry things off or humans might come and destroy it. So I know my little creation will not last. I just made something that I like, that pleases me, that's really beautiful, but I surrender it to the elements and I let it go and I enjoy it while it's there. I appreciate the beauty of it in the moment and then I release it and I let it go knowing that everything will fall apart. It will disassemble itself. And who knows, the next day I'll make something different from other things that I happen to find. And I can enjoy them for just that moment while I have them. But I'm willing to let them go. I'm willing to let all of life go. I'm willing to, to let it fall apart, to let it dissolve away. Because I had that moment of cherishing it, that moment of really loving it and seeing the beauty in it. And there's something amazing and empowering about being able to to create something new in the world and then turn around and walk away from it to not need to keep it to not need to glue everything down so that it will last forever and I can show it to other people to create it simply for that moment knowing that it won't last it's a very powerful exercise in impermanence. It's good for the ego because the ego enjoys creating something of beauty and has to deal with the pain of, of walking away and, and the humility in a way of being able to say, it's okay, no one else will ever see it. No one will know about this. I leave it behind. I let it go. I let everything go back to nature as it was before. So um, that's a little practice, a ritual practice that has brought me a lot of joy and pleasure. And I wanted to share that with you. I hope that maybe you'll use that yourself or maybe some other practice like the five remembrances and journaling about um, the fact that you are going to die someday. 
So I hope that these five things the ego needs to learn have been helpful to you. Please do go back and review the other four episodes if you haven't heard them. So you have all five lessons down. Write about them in your journal. Spend some time thinking about them. And remember, this is a lifelong process, not something that, oh, I listened to this, so I get it now. And I've learned everything I need to know. That's not how it works. It will go on and on and on forever. So until the next time we're together, remember that we are really here for love. All of this is about learning how to bring more love into the world with us, how to manifest more love and, and experience it through our lives. So face your fear, be ready for whatever life brings your way next, and just love each and every precious fleeting moment that you have here in this lifetime. Bye-bye.